Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Let's play two. Welcome in, friends. This is the Cubs Talk Podcast on NBC Sports Chicago. I am James Naveau. Not working on news right now. I got Cubs baseball on the brain as they report to Arizona today. And joining me are two fellow baseball aficionados who I can see have the optimism of the spring in their eyes. It's Layla Rahimi from NBC Chicago. You can watch her every night at 5, 6, and 10. And we have Nate Poppin, who has Equal hat game to me. God, I believe that's an obvious shirts hat that he has on today. And he's also got a ton of baseball knowledge, too. So, you know, I'm really thrilled to be on with both of you guys. How are you guys doing tonight? Much better. Happy to be here. Yeah, I love the uh, the hat game out of you, too. The 120s. I, I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for a 120 start. Mm-hmm. I need that in my life. On a day where I'm not working, where I can just enjoy the game and, <laughs> you know, be at Wrigley. Yeah. I have a I have a countdown on my phone to the first 120 start. So I, I have a countdown to when I get to go to California to see the Cubs. There's lots of baseball optimism in the air, and you, it was all on full display today because we're recording this on Wednesday. And you guys, pitchers and catchers, are finally in Mesa, and they're all talking to the media. Yep, Layla is clapping. Hooray. I hear it. I appreciate it. And they all spoke to the media today, and they all talked about how pumped they are for the season. Let's just go ahead and get right into it then, because Jed Hoyer spoke to the media today, had a lot to say on a lot of topics. He hit on potential extensions for Nico Horner and Ian Happ, talked about Cody Hoyer and Kyle Hendricks, talked about the acquisitions of Dansby Swanson and Cody Bellinger. He basically hit on everything. So I'm going to spin the wheel and I'm going to say, Layla, what was the biggest takeaway for you from Jed Hoyer's press conferences today? Well, once again, I think they've hammered the point home now many times that run prevention is the name of the game. So I think we've all gotten the memo, right? We all got the memo. They've got what, six gold glovers now on this team. When you add (laughs) in Eric Hosmer, Marcus Stroman, of course. So that to me was nice to hear just this defined sense of direction once again, out of what their plan is and what they want to do. That's a sign that a team has a mission statement. They have a direction, they have a plan. And if they deviate from it, then they're going to have to tell us why. And I think that that's valid as well. So this is what they want to do. As for how it's going to get executed, that's what the season is for. That's what spring training is for. But we know that. The big news to me was also not just the health of Kyle Hendricks, which we have discussed on this podcast, the availability of Cody Hoyer, because I think he is going to be a huge key. I know they've added to their bullpen, 
but I want to see what he can do after having Tommy John surgery. And then additionally, what they're going to do about Ian Happ and Nico Horner. I don't want to go there with Nico Horner yet, but we can bring up the question about Ian Happ because this time last year started to be the beginning of the season of discontent as far as knowing what was going to happen with Wilson Contreras. And after the goodbye tour that the both of them were on last season, I think it's fair for us to ask what their plan is for Ian Happ. Yeah, I think that's my biggest takeaway is is the the possible extensions for the two of them. You know, Horner's still an arbitration guy, um, so you're going to possibly lock him up early. Happ, like, he's coming off a career year. You know, you, you got to think that he's – in line for another all-star type season. So that's going to drive the price up even further. Do they see him as a piece, you know, for that goes on with this team with guys like Alcantara and, and PCA? I, I don't know. I, I can't answer that question, but it would seem that he would fit in with, you know, with those guys in the future. I mean, guys like Saya, I mean, I mean, I'm just counting outfield spots here. It's just, there's only so many spots available so when they're in their big window of contention, hopefully, you know, in a couple of years, where does he fit in? Where does he slide into that? Yeah, and I think that you brought up a good point about just kind of the issue the Cubs may have in terms of how many players they're going to have in their outfield and how um, a, an extension to Ian Happ could potentially limit them and not allow some of those guys to kind of make their way to the big leagues. And I know that Cody Bellinger is only on a one-year deal, but you immediately have PCA behind him. You've got Alcantara, like you said. You've got Brennan Davis, and I think that – when you look at that part of the calculus, it's really important. It's also important to wonder how much money is he going to command? If you look at the free agent class for next off season, it's not exactly littered with a bunch of like high talent, young guys. I think that Ian Happ is probably going to be one of the top available free agents. I mean, the outfield class next year, you're looking at guys like Jock Peterson. You're looking probably at Cody Bellinger. You're looking at Michael Brantley. You're looking at Joey Gallo. It's not exactly a loaded class next season. And so I think that if a team's looking for outfield help, a guy like Ian Happ is really going to appeal to a lot of teams. And I have to wonder if the Cubs are going to be willing to pay the price that's going to come along with that. I don't think that that necessarily fits into their calculus either. And so I think when you combine the young guys that they have with the reality of the free agent market and what Ian Happ could potentially command, there are a lot of questions on whether or not he's going to fit into the picture. And then you have to ask yourself, are you just going to hold on to him until the trade deadline? Are you going to pull a Contreras like what you did last season and then hopefully move him and get some, some assets for him? Or should you, I don't know, maybe even consider trading him earlier than that. What do you guys think is the kind of most likely path forward, at least from an Ian Happ perspective? Nate, I want to hear from you. <laughs> well, I, mean, I was waiting patiently. Yeah. So, so his name has, you know, always been linked to the Yankees since, I don't know, since he, his call up really like they've, they've liked him since day one. Um, and if a team like that get, it is potentially going to get involved in, you know, a free agent market, like, I don't think, I don't think there's, very much of a chance that he returns to the Cubs in that situation. So, yeah, I, I kind of hope that they they don't do what they did with Wilson, where, you know, you just kind of string along, you know, they, they sort of strung along the fan base thinking we're going to deal this guy at the deadline. We went through all the rigmarole of the, the goodbye tour and everything and the emotional uh, dugout scenes, and then nothing happened. And then he leaves 
for the Cardinals. So, yeah. Um, yeah, just a reminder that uh, Wilson Contreras is a Cardinal now. Um, Down the street. Yeah, not great. Um, so, I mean, lo- well, luckily for spring training purposes, he's in Florida, so uh, not anywhere near where they are. But that's not, besides the point. Yeah, I, I I tend to think that, you know, like you mentioned with with guys like Davis and Alcantara and PCA and possibly say Suzuki sticking around longer, mm-hmm. there might not be a spot for him depending on, you know, how they see everything stacking up. So I'd rather get something sooner than later, honestly, like maybe, you know, maybe even before further before the deadline. Swole say, say a Suzuki, by the way, oh, Man, yeah. that guy has been working out. And I think yes. uh, the ball is flying off the bat respectively too. Mm-hmm. I know that when he uh, got to town, he loved Chick-fil-A. He mentioned that <laughs> we all have to find our balance when it comes to the food we love. I especially think that might be the case for athletes. So uh say seems to have found that balance when it comes to uh, his workout program. As far as half is concerned, I think there's, there's a couple key pieces here when it came to what happened last season that we might want to just reset. One of them is, Clearly, the Astros wanted him. And it sounds like there was a preliminary deal in place mm-hmm. where Jose Ukiti might have been coming back to the Cubs. What a boon that might have been. And really a drawback for the Astros as they were trying to figure out what they needed for their World Series run. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it stinks that the Cubs didn't get that. But we see Contreras go to St. Louis, and then we see what happens with the Cubs. They end up getting the Astros, rather, end up getting another player from a Chicago team, at least at first base. But when it came to Ian Happ, we didn't know really. There weren't any announcements or like little pieces of news leaking out after the season ended as to where he might have gone or how. Mm-hmm. I also tend to think that Ian Happ is somebody you build around, not just because of the season that he's put together and the progress he's had, but also his business and how he conducts himself. You know, you saw the Cubs convention have the live taping of the compound podcast those things don't translate at the plate a lot of the time but when you are a team trying to build a new identity i think he's he's somebody who you want to have those things do matter as far as trying to say who are the people that i know on this team when you're trying to figure out who the faces are on those banners that you constantly state constantly see and stuff like that so i think there's a lot of teams who are in the market for a guy like that so i'll be interested to see how that plays out during the season the good news is jed hoyer said you know it's not going to be the same type of hard and fast rules i think when it comes to this sort of thing so that's really good to hear as well uh and it gives me a little more encouragement as to the nature of those discussions james what are your thoughts I'm glad you brought that up. I just Layla alluded to this, that in the past, Jed Hoyer has said that he wants to have all contract negotiations kind of wrapped up by the time they start training in Mesa. I think he, he indicated today that that is not going to be the case with the Inhap and Nico Horner. I think putting those kind of artificial deadlines on things has kind of maybe led to some issues for the franchise in the past. And so I think that that flexibility is both indicative of the fact the Cubs are giving this some legitimate thought while also being flexible and learning from their mistakes of the past. And so I think that that's a really important kind of component to all of this. I I think that the discussion with Happ, and you brought up a good point, Layla, that he could potentially be one of those players who goes on the banner. I think that unless the Cubs are looking at the next offseason and some of the free agents that are going to be available, 
Shohei Hotani, anybody. I mean, Manny Machado could opt out from his contract with the Padres, even though I think that there's at least a chance he's going to stick around with how many players they do have there and how loaded they are for the future. If you're going to play in that particular free agent pool, then I can see some more hesitation on the part of keeping Ian Happ around because I think that there are no guarantees in baseball. We all know this, but if you're really going to go for that type of a franchise-altering player like a Machado or an Otani, I can see why you wouldn't want a guy who's going to be turning 29 years old this season and who is going to you know, lock down a corner outfield spot, but that's not really, I guess the type of player that you would seem to potentially build your team around. I think in that case, you're probably looking at a guy like a Dansby Swanson as being more important to that a guy like a Pete Crow Armstrong being more important in that respect. So I think that there's a lot of validity to the argument that he means a lot to the Cubs in this current incarnation. And I think that if you can get him on a reasonable deal, it's worth exploring. But if he's looking for more than you're willing to outlay, and then you are then willing to kind of p- Uh, play in that deeper pool of guys like Machado and Otani, I can see why uh, Ian Happ would potentially not be in the cards in terms of an extension. Well, Shohei Otani and Manny Machado, and I'll just bring into this, the other shortstops that were in the mix while Dansby Swanson was out there, Carlos Correa, they all have a career five-plus war, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So that to me, that's the difference. Like that's the upper echelon of free agency. And you've seen that consistent over the past years in Major League Baseball. There is a premium for a career five war. And I don't know how many people couldn't get it through their heads and didn't understand (laughs) when I talked about this on the radio, the difference between Dansby Swanson and I want him to have that war for his career, but his career numbers just aren't there yet. So that's... To me, that's the difference. All of this means to say that it sounds like Ian Happ's going to the Mets. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but they're, they're just, that's the default now. Where's your guy going? Ah, he's probably, he's probably going to the Mets. Like, wait, where'd so-and-so go? And then, <laughs> you know, by the way, the Padres sneakily pick up Michael Walker. But to me, at least in San Diego, they know that that Dodgers window is closing soon. Mm-hmm. And theirs is still very oh. much open. You, you just see, saw the contract that you, you Darvish see, Layla, signed. You see, you well, a you Darvish is going to be turning forty by the end of that contract. So I think it's forty-two. I think it's a good deal, but I also am a little bit skeptical. And also, I wouldn't write off the Dodgers based on what they've been able to do with their farm system over the years. I think they've definitely shown that they can develop talent, and they're willing to go out and sign some big money deals like they did with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. I, I just ugh, I will not be in that club of writing off the Dodgers. That is a dangerous uh, bit of ground that I think you're treading on there. I'm no, I'm not writing them off. If there's if there's anybody who's established and respecting them, it's me. Okay. But I think when it comes to the overall collection, I think the Padres timeline is a little bit farther out right now than the Dodgers is. It's all about getting Fernando Tatis back into the mix and getting him uh, producing. I think that we do. We have some other topics we want to hit on, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't focus on the Nico Horner aspect of this. I personally think that's a guy that you lock up and you try to buy out those final arbitration years, maybe go a little bit of Atlanta Braves on it. I think having him locked down in the middle of the infield with Dansby Swanson and then up the middle of the field with PCA. Gives me the vapors, guys. That is that's the kind of deal I think the Cubs definitely are interested in making. And frankly, I think the odds of them making it are quite a bit higher than they would be on a guy like Ian Happ. Yeah, not not to disrespect, you know, 
uh, Hap. He's one of my favorite players on a team, but that's who I would be focused on extending first and foremost would be, you know, you're up the middle, you know, you Nico Horner. I mean, like you said, him with PCA and Dansby, I mean, that's, that's exactly what this type of baseball with the rule changes is built for. Like Layla mentioned before, the, the Cubs have laid out their plan, their reasoning behind building around defense, defense up the middle. It makes perfect sense. I mean, you basically added an upper echelon second baseman by not even making an, you know, an addition at that position this offseason by moving Nico over to second base. So I I personally think, you know, the well's pretty dry there at that position in, in, in the minors as well. So mm-hmm. especially for that reason, there's it's an it's a no brainer to bring back Nico. And I think once again, you you nailed it, like run prevention. Does that plan speak to run prevention? If the answer is yes, I think you must make it a more likely possibility. I would 100% agree. And I think that a lot of the players even were buying into that as well. I know we were talking almost exclusively about what Jed Hoyer had had to say today, but Marcus Stroman talked about how excited he is to have those guys up the middle and that defense that they're going to have. Dansby Swanson talked about it. Heck, even PCA talked about it like he really is buying into what the Cubs are building in that area and I think when you've got that organizational philosophy not just in the front office but it's leaking into what the players are saying too it's pretty clear the direction that this ship is sailing and I think that Nico Horner he belongs on the boat in that instance oh yeah a hundred percent if they're not building around him I'm gonna have a lot of words to say because we would all be (laughs) misled and i i think that wouldn't be a stretch but we don't have to it, worry about that it would completely not jive with everything they've been saying the last like six months so yeah yeah and well, gone. <laughs> well now that we've established what the cubs uh blueprint is going forward and how they continue to kind of view defense we may as well talk about a big reason why defense is going to be an even bigger potential issue this season MLB rule change season, y'all. And it's not just, you know, little minor stuff. It is bigger bases. It's a pitch clock. It's tweaks to the balk rule. It's no shift. I have to know from you guys, now that we've kind of seen the bigger bases floating around on social media, what rule change are you most looking forward to? Is there one that you're kind of dreading? Where are you guys at in terms of the rule changes that we're going to be looking at for the 2023 season? Nate is a purist by trade. I'm very <laughs> I, He's still angry so, that there's a universal designated hitter, probably. Nate is also I, a, you know, I am going to miss pitchers for Rake. I, I am. I am going to miss guys like, you know, Dan Heron. Oh, or, oh and, or, and I uh, apologize for Nathan Bumgarner. Yeah. You know. uh, Ghost Runner still uh, in play. They made that rule, I guess, permanent. I didn't realize it was a one-off thing, but apparently they're keeping it. So, yeah, go ahead, Nate. Uh, you know, yell about things. The floor is yours, buddy. No, I I, I will say I, I, I will miss uh, guys like, you know, Zambrano and pitchers who could rake. But that's an, that's a that's a whole nother issue. Pitch clock is <laughs> what I'm me. looking. Also me. Pitch clock is what I'm looking forward to most. Uh, just the the empirical evidence in the minors uh, is that it shaves in an enormous amount of time off games. I mean, when you're talking about the game, you know, growing to the average game growing to three hours and four minutes this past season. And then you look at what they implemented in the minors and you you're shaving at some points, 20 minutes off of the part of the season that you did not implement 
the the pitch clock and then 24 minutes less than the last full season without the pitch clock. I think it's that's a no-brainer for me anyway that that's going to make the biggest difference in the game. I uh, I think they didn't have to have bigger bases if they were going to implement a pitch clock. Mm. Because the reason you're seeing less stealing going on in baseball isn't just the fact that people aren't getting on base. Obviously, that's number one. But number two, it's the data they have once you're on. And I know the bigger bases were implemented to encourage stealing, but this pitch clock is going to change everything you know about how much time somebody's taking to the plate. So I think in this case, it's going to be better for pitchers in that respect and probably won't have as much stealing overall. And I don't know that any base size is really going to affect it. We're just going to have to wait and see how that's working. But I think major league baseball is implementing the pitch clock also partially because it's not just a pace of game thing. It's the fact that for these guys who take max amounts of time to ramp up in between every pitch, the likelihood is if they don't have that anymore, that they are going to have more base runners on. Mm -hmm. It's it's bad for pitchers. A lot of these rules have really, uh, I think been anti pitcher because they've had the advantage for so long. Theo Epstein has talked about that at length. Yeah. In other podcasts, I want to say the Starkfield <clears throat> podcast and the athletic, he's brought up how pitchers just have this overwhelming advantage. Now you saw it with the amount of no hitters that has happened, especially in the beginning of seasons recently. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, to me, I think it, you could have done one and then the other, like the pitch clock is going to be so significant that I don't know that you necessarily had to have bigger bases, but if they also encourage people when you're on the bases to maybe have less likely of an injury too because there's that much of the bag touch that I'm also into it a little bit more that way. Right. But to me, pitch clock is going to be the most important, especially because we all pictured somebody when we thought about that rule taking place and who it would affect the most. So whether it's a noteworthy reliever, whether it's a starter, you know, somebody is going to be severely affected by this. It's just yep. a matter of figuring out who and how. <laughs> yeah, one, I, of, one of my ahead. questions on well, one of my questions on it. So the rule states that once the mo- the motion of the pitch starts, so what defines the motion of the pitch for each guy is like it, it, it's completely completely subjective. So a guy like Johnny Cueto, when does the motion of the pitch start? Right? Yeah. Is you know, it, is it so, upward or is it that, once you're up? You, you Darvish know? too. Right. Yeah. Darvish. Darvish is another guy. So. I don't know like how it's going to roll out. I think it's going to take time for the umpires uh, to get used to this, obviously, and obviously mm-hmm. for the pitchers and the catchers too. But yeah, I mean, it, it's really it really does boil down to being a subjective rule. You know, I, the one thing I always look forward to is giving umpires more to think about. I think that that's always uh, it, it ends up yielding really good results. I, I think that like the FTX patch. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, I actually really am speaking of umpires and technology. (laughs) I I think that ultimately when you can challenge ball and strike calls, that's going to be really great in baseball. I think that's really working well in the minor leagues. I like the way that they execute it down there. It's not literally every pitch is called with a computer, but you can challenge specific ones. I think that's going to be a really important advent when that ultimately makes it to Major League Baseball. But since that's not coming in this season... I am looking forward to no shift, guys. I know that a lot of people say that, oh, just hit it where they ain't. If you don't want to hit it into the shift, then don't be a strictly pull hitter. You guys both said it. This game has been advantage pitchers for quite a while now. And I think that it's 
really, really difficult to go the other way on a lot of these pitches that these guys are facing. And they're coming in there faster than they ever have before with more movement than they ever have before. I think that the no shift is a really important way to kind of equalize the difficulty of the game between pitchers and batters. And I think that above all else, it's going to at least get the ball in play more often. And I I can't remember who quite said it, but you kind of know instinctively as a baseball fan, what a base hit looks like when it's coming off the bat. And so many times it was dying in that shift. And I think that eliminating that is going to be good for the aesthetic purposes of baseball and also good for the offensive purposes of baseball. So I definitely, I'm team no shift all the way. I think this is going to be a really good rule for baseball. And I think it ultimately is going to have a lot of benefits. I can't wait until every team figures out that they can still shift. It's just going to be completely different. <laughs> I saw Matt Spiegel draw a picture of how he thinks it's going to change from 670 score. And it was involving the third baseman and then moving outfielders to be in those similar places and then perhaps leaving left field completely open, which invites a massive potential mistake. But it's still a shift that is outside of the rule. So I wonder how many times things like that are going to occur. Are you going to have the Astros like four-man outfield? I didn't see if four-man outfields were going to be banned in the shifting rules. I need to take a look at that. But Mm. we'll see it play out in spring training for sure because they've got to figure out how some of this is going to work. And then not just that, but we don't know what ball they're going to use, guys. Well, I don't think we're we're not going to know what ball they're going to use anyway. It's going to apparently bounce back and forth. Well, I mean, there is a significant difference if you consider Meredith Will's column or uh, her data that was presented in Insider. Yep. Man, I know at the beginning of the season, for sure, there was stuff I thought that was going to be guaranteed out at any ballpark. And it was it was flying, you know, it was flying out to the warning track. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to play out as well. That Delaware River mud is uh, leading to inconsistent results very clearly. <laughs> is there a rule that you guys hate? Like, I think we've all kind of talked about rules that we're looking forward to. Is there, I don't think there's any of the rules this season that are necessarily like vile and hateable, right? I, I kind of think the, the position players pitching is kind of unnecessary because it I guess it has been happening more, you know, recent years since the, you know, Joe Madden sort of introduced it into the game. But I don't know, like that one to me kind of feels like they're they're overplaying their hand and all they're doing is like basically talking about expanding the amount of runs that it would take to, you know, be able to implement it. But it just feels like it's such it's still such a rare occasion in the game that I don't know if it really needs to be written down that you can't do this. I think that had to have been some sort of like bargaining thing to have it codified like that. Like it just doesn't. Otherwise I don't understand what the point was of of outright saying it. I do think though that um, Ozzy Guillen always keeps me in check on it, talking about the potential danger that a position player is in. Like you'd never want to get somebody injured Right. Having a position player who's your five day week or your you know everyday guy, compared to having a you know pitcher that you don't have to use every day out there. But yeah. I think a lot of these things we're just gonna have to wait and see if we hate it or not. <laughs> like, yeah, we're probably. just gonna have to see how it plays out. 
Well, I, I, I'm optimistic that things like the uh, shift and the pitch clock, like we kind of have seen the things that have kind of come up with the minors with some of these rule changes, and I think they've been positive. So I think that hopefully those are good indicators. But yeah, we'll have to wait to see what it ends up uh, doing to the game. The last thing, speaking of changes and you know metrics and all this stuff that we've been talking about, do you guys want to talk about Pakoda? It seems like everybody yeah. and their mother has been talking about Dakota lately. And in the case of the Chicago Cubs, the Cubs who shelled out millions upon millions of dollars this offseason, Dakota thinks it's going to earn them exactly three more victories this season. They have them at 77 wins. They have them with a 9.5% chance of making the MLB playoffs. I think the division percentage was about 4.2%, if I recall correctly. I got to ask you, Nate, what do you think of 77 wins and a 9.5% chance of making the National League playoffs for the Chicago Cubs? I mean, considering that they overplayed their projection last year by four wins, that that puts them in, what, 80, 81? Yep. So I could see that, you know. I kind of thought 82, 81, somewhere around, you know, somewhere in that ballpark. Um as far as the division percentage, uh, they've got it at what five point three that I'm looking it, at. It was it was fairly low. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, I think it's pretty clear cut that Milwaukee and St. Louis are the favorites. So yeah. I don't I don't disagree with that. I just sort of you know look at it as they're, they're always very conservative. Uh, I a couple of days ago they had the Mets at ninety nine. Now I see they're at like ninety five. So. Yeah, they're volatile. They're they yeah. definitely they change. They've changed since they first came out. You're absolutely right. So, yeah, you never quite know exactly what uh, the numbers are going to tell you. I did want to bring up, by the way, uh, Jed Hoyer did address this topic earlier today uh, about the Pakota projections. Here's what he had to say during the uh, introductory pressers. I mean, listen, projections are, you know, they're they have uh, their methodologies. I think we've um We've answered these questions before. Uh, you know, I think there's, you know, there's definitely years, um, you know, that uh, the projections haven't haven't liked us or haven't liked us as much as we might. But, you know, ultimately our our job is to prove those wrong. You know, every single year there's going to be, um, you know, plus or minus ten wins on all the projection systems, and that has to be our goal: is to be a team that's that's you know plus ten or more, and that's what everyone's you know doing here, you know, working hard to do. So um, that's the that's the job. But ultimately, like you know. Who am I to question someone's methodology? You know, we have our internal projections. There's going to be, you know, 10 plus projection systems we'll look at. Um, some might like us, some might not, but it doesn't really matter. <clears throat> Ultimately, it's about, you know, can we, you know, beat those projections and then compete for a playoff, you know, spot all summer. All right, Layla. He says they have overperformed, that they weren't liked by Pakoda in the past. How, are you buying into that? Like, I, I, I think that's just something that a president or a GM says, but. Maybe I'm just a cynic. I don't know. The Cubs have taken special offense, though, when it comes to Pakoda. Don't you remember <laughs> how they had the projection on their bulletin board, so to speak? And they actually used it as that material whenever we were still in the dynasty years of the Cubs. Yeah. And I believe it was that year that Pakoda ended up also being correct. It's based on standard deviations from outside the mean. So mm-hmm. the Cubs oh. did outperform it, though. They did outperform it last season by what I saw was about four wins. And sorry, yep. I uh, 
I have to confess this on the Cubs Talk podcast. I was looking <laughs> up the number as we were talking and accidentally hit X on the browser that had our link to it. So, if, if anybody was curious why I threw to Nate first, that was the reason. It wasn't because I was like, you know, Layla's going to go off on some math tangent. I want to hear from Nate first. No, well, I did take two years of stats, so it, it comes in handy every now and then. Yeah, you brought uh, up standard although, deviations. You're clearly yeah, there were a lot of big words us. there. Yeah. Although at a very basic level, all that means <laughs> is if you're on a bell curve, your mean's in the middle. How many? How how far out from that curve are you going to be, either positively mm. or negatively? And okay. the likelihood is less and less as the farther you get out. And that's all I've got. That's, this that's has been college and high school with- stat got me. <laughs> This has been Math 101 with Layla Rahimi, sponsored by NBC5 Chicago's News at 10. Um, oh, yeah. Sad I, I, day for all the people who think I'm dumb all the time. I also <laughs> do want to say this, though. I think I think uh, age of pitcher is also part of the Pakoda algorithm. Pakoda mm. does not like pitchers who are older. So that's partially perhaps why the Mets changed so much and swung yeah. that much was because, let's face it, their starting pitchers, albeit amazing, are a little older. Hey, They're a little hey, hey, older. Hey. I I did want to mention this. I thought this was kind of funny on social media today. You bring up the Mets. Uh, Jacob deGrom went to uh, the office for the first time today and then immediately got shut down with soreness on his left side. I think the Rangers even posted an image that said first day in the office. And then, of course, you know, the comment section just kind of deteriorated into madness. So Dakota doesn't like old pitchers. Apparently, it shouldn't like injury prone ones either. So... I, I grew up in Texas. I grew up yeah. a Texas Rangers fan. Hey, I'm not just the Rangers. Of, I'm just there's saying. A, there was a special kind of sadness when I saw that, and I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. However, I I think the Cubs are projected in a spot that I think is fair based on what we've seen out of the division. I do think, though, that there is a lot to be proud of, that they outperformed it by four games. I know that sounds silly, but when you consider – what Pakota weighs and the fact that the Cubs are trying to have a whole shift in their organizational focus, that whatever they're doing is beating that projection is a good sign. Yeah. That is something that you want to see continue because that means that their data is ahead of the game. And we couldn't have always said that. Right. So I think that that is something that is very important when you consider that they beat it by four games. It wasn't just because of happenstance. It was because they valued different things in the organization and you started to see it pay off. And that is something that I really don't think we could say previously. Yeah. Well, and and you mentioned that, you know, Pakoda obviously doesn't like old pitching. A lot of the Cubs old pitchers were hurt last year and didn't pitch. So that could have had something Mm -hmm. to do with it, too. But typically that means that they would perform worse or, yeah. or closer to the projection. True. Right. So I think that that says a lot. I also think that Marcus Stroman had an excellent year. Oh, yeah. I don't he know did. that that was something that people expected to see as consistent as it was. Mm-hmm. Now, I well, know he had a couple of setbacks here and there, but to me, true. for a starting pitcher, that's normal. When you consider his innings and what he was able to do when he was on the mound and the way he did it, like that was something. Also, Wilson Contreras' offensive numbers probably played into that as well. Let's just acknowledge that while we're here. And I still don't, we still don't necessarily know if they've been able to replace them in a way that is sufficient yet. Well, that's another, we're going to have to wait and see. And, yeah. uh, you know, while I'm here offensively, that also makes me think of what Jed Hoyer said today 
with Eric Hosmer. I didn't mean to make you start laughing, James. I just loved the, the, the while I'm here. I was like, oh, my God, that's so great. <laughs> but it's true. I, I thought about what they said about how they're going to platoon some of these guys, like the Mancini's, the Hosmer's, the Wisdom's, trying to figure all of that out, especially at the corners. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that also plays into these things, because if you have platoon and you have a strong bench, how is that going to help you get yep. some runs that maybe other teams aren't? You also so, have young guys who could potentially swing that pendulum. And I think that that's that to me is what stood out the most about the Dakota projections is you can see the paths forward to potentially outperforming that. Right. You see if Matt Mervis has to come up in June, if Eric Hosmer is just completely you know, lost at the plate or something, you bring Mervis in and he starts slugging. That's going to help if you're going to bring in a guy like Brennan Davis and he's going to be healthy and you're able to bring him into the mix and get some at bats from him quality at bats. I think that's important, too. If Christopher Morell takes a step forward and ends up getting more starts at third base than we potentially think he's going to like these paths forward for the Cubs in terms of outperforming their Pocota projections. I think that 77 wins. I'm with you guys. I think that maybe I'd have it a little bit higher, at least in terms of what my expectation is for this team. But I also can see the paths forward and what the projections would change based on if a guy like Matt Mervis were to come up and were able to hit or if Seiya Suzuki takes a step forward. I think the paths are there. I don't think that this is any sort of a diss on what the Cubs are doing. I think that there are plenty of questions that are not to be answered about this lineup and about this roster construction. And I think there are paths forward to do better than 77 wins. And so I think that when people look at Pakoda and say, Oh, well, you know, they're disrespecting a team that spent hundreds of millions of dollars in new contracts. No, no, no. They're assessing the situation that's on the ground right now, not what's being projected in the future. And I think that's a really important component to this, that there are those abilities to kind of improve on those numbers, just making some of those moves that I kind of talked about. Well, and other advanced metrics have said that the Cubs were one of the teams that improved the most via war. Yeah. Like Mets was number one, I think. Cubs might have been like two or three. So Consider that when you're also intaking all of this data. <laughs> Bunch of nerd talk. That's all this is. I can hear the criticisms already. Man, if you don't like nerd talk, get off our podcast. <laughs> Love nerd talk. Yeah, I mean, isn't that what we're doing here? <laughs> we should change the banner of the show to nerd talk on NBC Sports Chicago, I guess. I'd be okay <laughs> with that. Tony Gill, light it up. That's all I'm going to say. All right, y'all. We've got uh, some more, obviously, camp talk coming up in the next week. Uh, Games, I don't think, start until, what is it, like the last Friday in February, I want to say. So what are we looking forward to the next few days, guys? Is there anything that you have in terms of a parting shot, a thing that you're looking forward to seeing out there in Mesa? More more Alcantara batting practice. That's what I'm looking for. Dude. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. The clips we're seeing, just the way he's barreling up the ball. Oh, boy, that is awesome. Are you kidding? Solid PFP, man. Let's see some guys fill their position. It's lame, <laughs> but like it's what it. spring training at this time is all about. I like it. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more inter- shake out in terms of what the Cubs are going to do at third base. I think we're going to kind of get an idea of where David Ross is leaning. They apparently are somewhat serious about giving Nick Madrigal a shot over there. It's not something that I anticipated, but you never quite know. Also, Cody Bellinger getting some reps at first base. It was kind of interesting with 
you know, Mancini and Hosmer both being brought in, you're still going to give Cody Bellinger a bit of run over there. I think that that could potentially open up some playing time if a guy like Brennan Davis is able to come up and make an impact at the big league level. You want to keep Bellinger's glove and bat in the lineup? That's one way to do it. So definitely looking at where Bellinger's getting put out there. And yeah, it's just, it's all about counting down until that uh, first pitch is thrown, whether it's at Sloan Park or elsewhere. I'm a terrible observer. I completely forget where their first spring training game is. Oh, uh, we got time I've got it right that. here. It's uh, against the Giants on February 25th. So there you go. So I was, I was right about the dates. I was, I was uh, uncertain about the stadium. Layla, are you going out to spring training this year? You know, I'm not. I uh, I don't really have a reason as to why. I just... <laughs> you just hate Arizona. Every, no, I, well, everybody's always like, oh, you're not going. You don't get to go. And I'm like, I still watch the games. I don't know what to tell you. Like, no, That's one good thing about having there, your own TV network is... I don't have to be there. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Covering spring training is admittedly fun. I enjoy going out to the backfields and seeing some of the prospects work. And I kind of like being able to leave the press box after the fifth inning of a game and go talk to the day's starters. You don't have to watch, you know, unnamed number 64 out there in left field because it's just like, yeah, he's killing time, whatever. Like the only exception to that was seeing Chris Bryant come in late in games in like 2014 because you were like, okay. I need to stick around, watch big boy slug. But yeah, there's something really interesting about covering spring training. But no, I'm I'm kind of with Layla getting like the the vibe of the sunshine, just watching it on TV. It's a lot cheaper than flying out there. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, airfare is not cheap right now. Let's just also throw that out there. But yeah, I for me, it's always kind of been the opposite. Spring training was always very long days for me. Mm-hmm. Um, being on the TV side, both as a, a field reporter and then just as a, a reporter covering teams. And and I did need to know who the random numbers were. So, get so maybe in, get that's into why. the print business, Layla. Come on. That's why you need to be on my side of things. You just type stuff out. It's great. Yeah, I would be like, oh, who was that? And it's like somebody you you probably don't need to know later. But hey, that's what <laughs> it was for me. Nate, are you going out there this year? No, no. No. Man, we all suck. We're not going out to spring training. I am going out to Arizona, incidentally, like the week after spring training ends. But I'm just going wow, out there James. for Easter, Easter and uh, Diamondbacks games. So it's going to be a good time. No, I'll be, I'll be watching, uh, watching all the games on marquee and basking in TV's warm, glowing, warm glow. <laughs> oh, excellent Simpsons. Yes. Quote. Let's make some Simpsons references on the show. Layla, every, literally every time I come in the office, I think Layla greets me with a different one. It's uh, it's really endearing. I got to say. I'm in danger. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, thank you guys so much for listening to the the Cubs Talk podcast on NBC Sports Chicago. The Simpsons quote of mine. (laughs) For Layla Layla Rahimi and Nate Poppin, I'm James Naveau. We will talk to you guys next week when we'll be even closer to actual real baseball. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. 
Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.